We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Today is Wednesday, September 23rd. Jeff Erickson here with Scott Pianowski from Yahoo Fantasy Sports. Scott and I go as far back as I do with anybody in the industry. Scott wrote for us for the longest time. Uh, We play in multiple leagues together. When we see each other, we golf together, play poker together, all sorts of good stuff. You hear him regularly on Sirius XM Fantasy with us. I've gone on his show. He does tons of podcasts. Uh, Scott, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thank you for that lovely intro. Uh, I'm doing great, man. Um, Doing great. It's uh, nice weather in Michigan. I got some golf in this morning. Nice. All sports are in season. You know, NBA was the semifinals and NHL finals, baseball course, pennant races. You know, who are going to be the final 16, Jeff? We're just spine tingling. <laughs> and football, look, hey, it's, it's been a pretty smooth liftoff. I wasn't sure. I really haven't been sure what to expect all, all year from sports and with the environment that we're in. I, I don't need to say much more about that, but it's been entertaining. I, I wonder if the offense is a little bit out of hand, but you know they're not really calling holding penalties. It's so hard to define what the hitting area is, but whatever. The games have been fun. Other than the injuries, um, it's just great to have football back, and I'm, I'm getting more and more optimistic. I was so nervous that the baseball season would get the plug pulled in the middle of it or maybe even the beginning of it, and it seems like they're going to get through that season. I mean, it's just about done now, Yeah, and I'm getting encouraged that they can get this football season played to its entirety. And, and at that point, you know, if they can do that, this season goes down as a big win. Yeah, just don't take college as our example and we'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's depressing. Uh, you know, you, you live in Big Ten country. I'm a Big Ten fan. I live in Pac-12 country. So I'm not 
feeling on a regular regular basis, but you know, I I, I do you know I I'm a fan of the game. I, I found myself though, like Saturdays, because maybe it's because the Big Ten's not playing. I'm, I I don't find myself like, oh, who's playing today? Eh, kind of like, well, I'll live my life today, uh, which is good. I need to you know you need to kind of reboot every once in a while. You know, just be a fan and not just. And just maybe do a few other things. Be outside a little bit here and there when you can, while you still can before the weather turns. Yeah, I mean, look, especially with people like you and I, because you know we're big golf fans, we're soccer fans. Yeah. So it's not just the four majors. So there's always something going on. And with me, I, I like college football. I don't love it, and I think the reason why is I you know, went to Providence. They don't have a football program, so it was never. I didn't. Once you, once you go to a college that where football is significant, I mean, even with you going to Northwestern, where I, I know they probably won like five games when you were there, but um, you know it's, a, it's still a Big Ten school. I know you had that great run when they went to the Rose Bowl in the '90s. Occasionally, you know, they'll pop up into relevance, mm-hmm. and the basketball teams had some great moments too. I mean, they, they made tournament appearances, but I think your college experience. I think so much of what happens to you when you're in the college age the music you like, the, the movies you were into. I think a lot of that, although we certainly evolve as adults and you never want to stop learning and I'm, I'm and nothing like I was when I was 20 years old. And, and in a lot of ways, that's much for the better, but I feel like a lot of our formative artistic and, and just things that make us, us come for those years. And, and because I didn't grow up you know, New England's not a big college area, you know, Doug Flutie, BC, they were kind of a big deal when I was growing up, but it's not New England for all the colleges in New England. It's not a football hotbed, so I like college football. I don't live for it. Um, my dad lives in the Auburn University area. He's relocated there in his retirement, and he's become a big Auburn fan. So I always root for Auburn. Plus, you know, anything that gets you to root against Nick Saban is generally a good idea. But um, you know, college football is, I like it. I, I talk about the NFL not having a defense. I mean, in college, I mean, it's not unusual to see teams score like 47 points and lose. I think it's just so hard to play defense in college. But I like college football. I don't live and die with it. There isn't a single team. There were a couple of years in Michigan, you know, when they had that, that Chad Henney group that was together for four years and Mike Hart and Mario Manningham, uh, Braylon Edwards. I was kind of into those teams. But there isn't a college football team that can lose and make me sad. So I guess that means I'm a casual college fan. For sure, and you know, I, I, I do. I am. I am pretty zealous. Zealous. Uh, uh, oh, I can't even talk today. Uh, I, I have a strong rooting interest for Northwestern, and sure, of uh, course, yes, I do feel sad when they lose. Uh, and for the record, we won at least seven games my four years combined. We went zero for my freshman year, though it was sad. I think we won. Oh wow, winless freshman year. That, that, that's how bad getting Erickson on campus was. The, oh, yeah. the team was so dispirited. That they could win. Let me ask you this: If you could give a championship, if you would have like one glorious championship season for any of the teams you care about—the Reds, the Bengals, Northwestern football, basketball—who who would you most like to see win? A Doc Northwestern County, football, still. Okay, football. I mean, the Rose Bowl yeah. year was incredible. We got to number three in the country at one point. That you think about that? We're happy to be ranked. We're happy to have a home game on ABC. You know, like a national broadcast against Penn State. Uh, I was at that game. That whole year was just glorious. The win was at 95, 96. What year was that? Uh, that was the 95 regular season, 96 95. Rose Bowl. I was. I went to the game in the big house where we beat Michigan, uh, despite Tim Biakabatuka's best efforts. Uh, and that later that year, he was a, he was in you know total beast mode against Ohio State, and I'll forever thank him for that uh, because that put us into the Rose Bowl. 
Uh, it was you know because we had the one non weird non conference loss. We beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame and then lose blow a twenty one point lead in the fourth quarter to Miami of Ohio, uh, like on like a botched punt. You know it was it was really odd. And we had a great punter too that year, Paul Burton. Uh, you know Burton family was like they have had like like four guys that basically did uh, basically did great things at Northwestern and yes and uh, Suarez just hit a homer I'm very happy about the Reds right now and moving on uh, sorry about that I, I probably should leave the TV off when I'm doing these podcasts but I can't help myself right now uh, but yeah that 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 league was I mean that year was just amazing the homecoming we shut out Wisconsin 35 to nothing in the kind of a drizzly rain we beat Michigan beat Penn State that year Everything was great. You know, Keith Jackson comes to our campus. Are you kidding? Get out of here. That's that. That's like a dream. And, you know, we had this guy, Gary Barnett, walks into uh, a Barnett, game. Right. Uh, you know, when he gets introduced to the Northwestern fan, fan base, right? And, you know, we're going to take the purple to Pasadena, he says at halftime of a basketball game. You're like, who's this guy? You know, and then, like, my senior year, we beat BC. Uh, I don't know if you remember Pete Mitchell, the tight end. At, of course, at, yeah. Yeah, that also was a good team. Gun. That was our best win, my, uh, that or beating Jeff George one year. Those were my two best wins out of like ten that I had to choose from uh, at Northwestern. So uh, yeah, went Mitchell, through a lot. Jacksonville, Jacksonville Jaguar for a while. He had some fantasy relevance too. I also, by the way, you mentioned Biakabatuka. I always wanted to believe he was going to be a great fantasy player. And Same. other than like one game, I think he went nuts in one game against Washington where he had a couple of long touchdown runs, but he really didn't have much of a pro career. Yeah. And some of these guys, you get one bad break, one injury, you're not the same player anymore. And, sure. You know, it could have, should have, would have. You know, break in with the wrong team. Sometimes that just damages you, uh, whether it's development or whether the, they play as you get hurt on, and you might not have got hurt on another team if you had a better line in front of you or something like that, whether it's a running back or a quarterback. And there's the, uh, the sliding doors theory, you know? It's just absolutely. What if Nick Foles never gets hurt? Do we have any idea that Gardner Minshew – I've been saying all along, all along, two weeks. If he was the first or second round pick, people would be over the moon for this guy. I, I know that Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick, and he's expected to be a star. And I'm not sure still what Minshew's upside is, but I think he's going to play in the league for a long time. I think he's legitimate. Yeah. And the only reason why I don't think there's more buzz. I, I may know people like him because he's he's a kind of a cool guy. He's got the mustache and all that. He's a easy story to root for. But I think he's actually you know hashtag good. I agree. I think he's one of those solid career starters. Maybe he's never considered a top five quarterback in this game, but I think he's a solid guy, a solid, a solid quarterback in this league, and deserves to start. Maybe, and you know, this may not seem like praise in our circles, but like a Philip Rivers type of career, that would be a darn good career. I don't think it's a Hall of Fame career. I think he's overrated by some, uh, mm-hmm. but on the same token, you know, he could run into a great season. He could have a Joe Flacco career. How about that? Andy Dalton career, you yeah. maybe on the, the the high end without the championships. That Eli Manning career, who you know, if you take out those two championship runs, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer at all. But he certainly was a win for the Giants. And you know, I'm looking forward to watching Minshew on Thursday night. Um, usually, it's a you know the Jacksonville gets those. When they get when you get a Jacksonville Tennessee game on Thursday, you usually run from it. Remember that you get those London games and everything. But the Jaguars are actually fun, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Me too. Uh, and I, I did the rewatch of that, and like they went from tanked, clearly tanking for Trevor to, oh wow, this is a fun team. I want give me more. I'm looking forward to the rewatch every week of this team now. 
And I have to do that rewatch. You know, when, when you have 10 games going on at once, there's no way you can keep track of things all at the same time. Unless you go to, like, like unless you have, like, six, six or seven TVs to try to keep track of it. And I, and I even that, even that doesn't work because you're just going to be too scattered too much. It's just sensory overload. Yeah. And I've tried, I've tried different techniques. I've said like, you know, don't check, no checking the fantasy scores, no running the Twitter every 10 minutes or 10 seconds. I should say 10 minutes that that'd be an improvement, but, and I'm still, I still suck at it. I'm still at 145 thinking, wait a minute, do I have a DFS lineup that's crushing? Wait a minute. Is one of my fantasy teams, is it all putting it together? And I, on better weeks, I'm good about it, and I'll just let the stuff settle and try to watch it, and try to appreciate it, and try to see as much as I can in a controlled environment. But it's hard, I, you know. Plus, I, I'm at home, which is good. But you know, the dog may need to go out. Somebody may be at the front door. You know, it, it's just um, every week I feel like, man, I I was just too swiveled today, too scattered today, and then that's where the the rewind, the the package where you can rewatch games. I. I wish I had the time and the patience to rewatch every game. I know some people do that. And then my, my colleague at Yahoo, Frank Schwab, I want to give him a shout out. Not only does he rewatch during the season, but he does this great thing that after the season ends, he rewatches every game wow. just to, to get a sense of what just happened and to get him primed for the off season, which I think is just a tremendous dedication to his craft. And it's, you know, man, it's, it's just think of how far we've come. And when we first got into this fantasy game, you know, it's like, oh, I know a bar that has the Sunday ticket. Isn't that great? You know, but mm-hmm. you, know, all, you might see what might comprise what you saw of a game. I'd see the, fi- the five plays they showed on ESPN or something. That's all you'd have. And now you can literally, if you want to watch every Antonio Gibson touch, you can. If you want to watch every Joe Burrow pass in five minutes, you can. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's right. And it, it is remarkable. And yeah, I sometimes don't get through the whole slate. But what I try to do is watch, first watch the ones I saw the least of. So, for instance, my I have two TVs. I've got uh, the the bigger of the two gets the grid channel, the eight mm-hmm. games at once. Bucks. And then I try. Then I put like the other one. I'll put Red Zone on usually. Sometimes that one with the volume, unless there's like a drive I really want to watch, which case I can just toggle over, make sure I follow that. And yet you have a day like Sunday. You know, where you had 10 games in the early slot, you had the US, U.S. Open, you had a big baseball day, and I, you know, I know you play just as much baseball as I do. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not giving up on my teams there. Even you had the NBA uh, Conference Finals in one league. You, you know, it was crazy how much you had going. You had soccer in the morning, although soccer is becoming super U.S. fan unfriendly right now in terms of its television coverage. That's, I'm very angry about that. Kind of spitting that yeah. silently. Yeah, that. Joe Sheehan's been all over that too. Yeah. And you really have to love soccer to follow European soccer on the West Coast because it's <laughs> the start time. Now, on one hand, it, it's nice that it's out of the way. It, it's not competing. It's not up against American sports. So I guess that's nice. But if you really want to follow your team, your club, uh, you, you have to get up at some ungodly hours, but um, yeah, it's a little frustrating the way that TV thing is broken down. You know, you know, the here's the thing: a lot of people complain. It's like a weekly complaint now with the split of the games. Yeah, and I've I've, I've I've stopped making that complaint only because I understand what the NFL wants to do, what these networks want to do. They want signature games in the second window, and so those become like almost de facto standalone games, you know, where there's a couple of, usually it's just, just like a headline game. They want everybody to watch Drew Brees and Tom Brady for God knows what reason. turns out, you know, that was really hard to watch in week one, but they, that's what they want. All I wish is that even with that, 
could we just go nine four? You know, I, I yeah. or, or when you had, you know, I, I agree with you. I have the two TVs. One of my TVs is the Octo Box, and the other one is the Red Zone. And last week, the games that weren't on the eight box were one of the games was Atlanta Dallas, which yeah. I wanted to watch. In the first week, there were I think nine early games, and the one game that didn't make the box was Cleveland at Baltimore. Yeah. I, Gee, I'd like to watch Lamar Jackson. Maybe, maybe they're, what they're doing now is they're thinking, okay, if we have a game that's a draw. We won't throw it on that box because they think we'll chase the game somewhere else. I, I, I live for the day. I can't wait for the day. And Mark Stope has made this point. Some other people have made it. We have customized. I want look the, the Sunday ticket. I think is a good value, but it's not inexpensive. I, w- I would love to program. I want to watch what I want to watch. Let me char- tell me how much money you want. I'll give it to you. And give me the technology to pick the games I want. It's an on-demand world. I want to say, okay, I, this is how many games I want on that screen, and these are the games I want in this configuration. I, I hope that that's coming someday soon. Yeah. Uh, and you almost feel like it do- it is, but then so much is trending towards cord cutting. So much is trending towards mm-hmm. that. I, I fear that you know where soccer is leading, other sports will follow uh, and you know push things towards that. And, yeah. I, could I figure it out and probably figure out how to get Peacock onto my TV but but that, and still do that? I, I could, uh, but I don't want to. I don't want to have to go through that effort. I've already plunked down. I've been a loyal customer. Stop diluting my, my value here. That's, that's all I ask. But anyways, too much. You know, one more thing I want to yeah. say on this. It has been too much talk, but that's what you get with me. The day I got my two 48-inch screens in my office, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, I was so happy. And I thought, this is like the greatest setup. And now, if I had to do it over again, I would have gone a little bit bigger on the TVs and I would have had at least a third one in here. Now, two doesn't – I think everybody has two now. I, I feel like two isn't enough. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I, I don't have a man cave. I live in California. We can't afford extra rooms. Uh, you know, I, it's, it's my bedroom and my office, but uh, that's okay. Workspace. Uh, but whatever, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it is something though that, you know, here we go. We're working. By the way, if you want to, I know some people share this sometimes. If you get a great setup at home, send me a tweet, send me a picture of what your setup is. I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and some people do, and I, I'm envious like Jen has got his own little like converted garage with three TVs and all that. And right. Perfect. Yeah. That, that would have solved my problem probably. What uh, a great dude. Shout out Scott Jenstad. One of my, just one of my favorite people in this industry. Oh, just yeah. that one. And, if I ever get if I ever get kind of in a bad mood or something, I go to Genstad and he talks me down. Awesome guy. Exactly right. Uh, every Sunday night, it's therapy for he and I. For he and I both, we kind of talk through whatever it's it's frustrating us at the time. Usually, really, really good player too. Not just a good guy. I mean, he's a very good analyst and, and very humble about it. But he's an excellent fantasy player. That's right. That's right. Except in fantasy golf, I don't know why he's been so bad in fantasy golf. So I can't be too nice to Scott. He knows, but he knows golf. That's the. He he's also a really good golfer too, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he's a good golfer, and he, you know, he's like I, I know he's done well. Like some of his like Masters wagers, he's in. He's winning. I think our one and done pool. He's just having a bad run in our season long the last yeah, two years. To be fair, he's only he's only been in the league a couple of years, so it's a small sample. I mean, for all we know, he could. He could go Tiger Woods on us the next eight years. We'll see. Of course, you're like the most steady Eddie in that league ever. You always are contending. Uh, and you may not win every year, but you're always in there. Me, I'm like, I'm all, I'm all over the place. I won a couple years A few ago. times. You won at least three years, I think, right? I've won four, but I think I'm finished. Okay. I, I might be last this year. Uh, it's really sad. Yeah, you know, it's it just, it's, and I thought I had a good team, too. That's the really thing that's really frustrating, but so it goes. 
Uh, let me ask our, you a question. As we pivot to football, let me ask you a yeah. question I've been talking about with some other people. Tons of injuries, right? Yeah. How, how do we draft a healthy team? Is that even possible? Like, was there a way to steer away from this, or you just get a hope that you don't step in the ditches? I think the latter. I, I mean, are, are you going to have send spies out to monitor everybody's off-season work habits when they're and they can't go to camp? And even if you could, can you even keep on track of that? I think you can go with history sometimes, but I, how could you have predicted a high ankle sprain from Christian McCaffrey? You couldn't. How could you predict what happened to Barkley? Unless you just are fading running backs as a whole, and you took a safe Michael Thomas. Oh wait, never mind. That that analogy doesn't apply. Kenny Galladay, right? Young player, you know, ascending talent. He hasn't gotten on the field yet. No talk about this in training camp until the last week, too. That was the thing that drove me nuts. It's like all of a sudden, oh hey, he's not practicing or he's limited. You know, even if you drafted that last week, okay, he's limited. Maybe he won't play week one, I guess, or maybe he'll be, you know, he won't have a full load week one. But no, he hasn't played yet. That's it's really aggravating. And you know, we know that the the Lions are very. Uh, close to the vest with their information i get that that is part of the problem but nonetheless i mean i honestly i don't want to like say okay we're absolved may I, it might require a little bit of digging in but how many wide receivers have had hamstring injuries this year it's at least six or seven prominent ones did i didn't catch yet the stefania bell segment on your radio show wednesday did, did she have any overview about what's going on in football right now with the injuries i'm just curious what the takeaway was on that she did actually uh, as the first thing we talked about uh is that this would be the equivalent of like the second or third week of the preseason when a lot of soft tissue injuries crop up and sure enough they're they're cropping up here too and the thing is you can't go from half speed to full speed readily it's difficult to do that, and it's very difficult to simulate it in practice and camp, and it's even harder to do so before you report to training camp. You can, you know, there's workouts, and then there's workouts in pads. There's workouts going full speed against an opponent, getting hit, you know, pushing off certain ways. It, you know, I think it's just a very difficult thing to do, and I still supported the idea of no preseason, and especially the way teams treat the preseason, but you, you also can't put your head in the sand and say there's no effect. I think there, there, there's definitely a correlation, right? I would think so. Um, one thing I've tried to do more and more in the last few seasons is just skew younger with my players and guys like, now, now look, they're all, all going to be right. But I mean, I didn't have any T.Y. Hilton. I didn't want any part of A.J. Green. I also avoided Julian Edelman, who just had the, the best receiving game of his regular season career, at least yardage wise. Although I still think it's a great time to sell him. He's not a big touchdown guy. And he, a lot of times he ends up missing time. But I've tried to skew younger. That is not a panacea. In the NFL, anybody's career can end on the next snap of the football. And you know I don't I don't draft into injuries and I tend to fade any kind of injury optimism. So Same. that helps that helps a little bit, but I'm like anybody else. I, I have some teams that you know, I have some Barkley that, that hurts. If I had any any league I had the number one pick, I was taking McCaffrey. So I don't know how you get away from that. It's just, you know, we're all gonna be bit by it to some degree. But I do think it helps to try to go with the younger players with cleaner resumes for whatever that means. I mean, and again, even then you need certainly to get lucky. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've mentioned the AJ green when the cheese goes bad, it, it stays bad theory. Uh, and you know, it, it got me to think of the cheese stands alone from the wire. So that was, that made me happy. Uh, even though the green note, it made me unhappy as a Bengals fan, but I don't think you're wrong about that. And I think that's been a, if there's one of the things, there's many things that uh, you have as some of your, Hallmarks. One is avoiding injuries. It's definitely something that that that's you've you've pounded 
on before, and I think as a percentage play, it's the right play. And I think that's the best way to approach it, especially if you're in multiple leagues. I think that's something you have to look for. Yeah, just don't be the most injury optimistic guy. You know, when you hear, especially in football, you hear these timetables, and what do players always say? They're, you know, these guys have been superheroes their whole life. No, nobody's going to get up in front of the podium and say, "Okay, they're saying four to six. I actually am going to need ten weeks. I don't know what the doctors are talking about. I'm a slow healer. I'm very lazy in my rehab. Nobody's going to say that." Plus, you know, a lot of these guys are comp- competing for their jobs, their livelihoods. Even good players can have difficulty getting a second contract sometimes. So they're marking their territory. They're, yeah, I think just in general football, people tend to be distrustful of the media anyway, especially the coaches. I don't, I don't look, I'm pro player on this. I mean, football players obviously deserve every cent they make. And I don't blame them for trying to take any agency in their decisions they can. I, I think that's obvious. I don't want to sound like a virtue signaler when I say that. But I mean, football players earn the money and they take all sorts of risks that are unusual in a vocation. But um, yeah, when you hear these, when you hear four to six, I want you to focus on the six. But when you hear four to six, I want you to think six to eight. And the other thing with that is then a player comes back. Like somebody asked me, one of my regular followers on Twitter asked me, what do I do with Kenny Galladay this week if he plays? Is he going to be limited? And I said, I, you know, I really don't know. Ask me. I said, ask me on the weekend. I'll try to give you a better reply. But sometimes you just need that prove it week. You can't play them right off the box because you don't know how involved they'll be, how many snaps they'll get. God forbid they're in a late game, you know, a Sunday night game or a Monday game that, that may present all sorts of problems. So sometimes there's an extra gap game that you lose because you're afraid they won't be a full participant in that first game back. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, especially after a guy has missed a game or two, if he's limited on Friday, but, oh, he, you know, we were just being, taking extra precautions. Yeah, that's a prove it week. If he's a full go on Friday, yeah, I might take a chance then. You know, and that you have to, and that's the thing that makes this year especially hard is teams are doing whatever they can to limit the you know the, the sh- sharing of good information. And this started even bef- like at the beginning of training camp. Oh, we're not going to let you report on who's practicing with whom. So what, silly, like that. so silly. You know, just one other tip. This is this is very obvious. Andy Barons was really early to this, but just keep this in mind as you're setting your lineups. I'm in one deeper league where I might play Keelan Cole in the Thursday game. So the key is, even though he technically would be kind of a flex type of play for me, I'm going to put him in the static receiver spot. Yep. So later in the week, if I need to, you know, if I have a surprise scratch or I'm struggling to fit my lineup the way the way I want it. I'm going to have the most flexibility later, even though Cole really doesn't. You know, he's not my one of my top three receivers. It doesn't matter. The point is, if you play somebody early in the week, put them in the static spot so you keep those flexes available for the widest arrangement. I had one league where I had I, I screwed up with this. I had James White in a late game. I, I should have put him in a flex. I had him as a static running back. And then when the white scratch happened, it didn't look, I mean, terrible news with his family. His father dies, his mom right. hurt in a, in a car accident. James White is one of my favorite all-time players, just a total class guy. And then just, he's been a great NFL player. I think he should have been the MVP of that Super Bowl against the Falcons. I, I just want to, you know, acknowledge what happened to the family and just say, I, I'm, I'm thinking about you guys and, and RIP right. to his father. But uh, as far as fantasy goes, and it's just an awkward segue, there's no clean way to do it. If I had had White in a flex position, I could have replaced him. Because I had him as a static running back, there was just nothing I could pick up. I didn't have another running back, so I had to eat the zero. And that's just a mistake I should never make. You need to 
the shape of your roster and who is in what position has to be to some degree dictated by the shape of the schedule. Yeah, it does. I think that's a great point. And it's something you can overlook when you're like doing your Sunday routine. You go through, okay, okay, he's good, he's good. You know, do that ahead of time. You know, look at the time, especially last week. There were three afternoon games, one evening game, one Monday game. Kind of easier to manage it. This week we've got five late games. It's a little harder. Now we have seven, you know, seven games to account for if you count the Sunday night and Monday night games. It's a little harder to, uh, to uh, kind of slot everything. Or maybe it's 9-4-1. and one. I forget if it's 9-5-1 or 9-4-1. and one, But it, it's, uh, it, it's point is, there, it's, it's a, little bit, a little bit more to manage. But it's, it's something you should do. You absolutely should do. And you can do that with the Thursday game. And I'm glad you mentioned Cole. That's a perfect segue because there's, there's a lot going on with this game. We mentioned how Jacksonville's fun. We like watching them. DJ Chark is uh, questionable for this game. It's a chest injury. There was a quote from Doug Maroney saying, uh, "You know, I think we're just gonna we're just being cautious here by listing him as questionable." But yeah, you never know. You know, it's the sort of thing that can rise up. Are you still starting him if you have him anywhere? Probably, unless something negative comes out in the Thursday flow of the news. But Same. the interesting thing is, as well as Minshew has played, and they 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 win the first week, the upset, and then they gave Tennessee all they could handle in week two. But Minshew, his 19 completions in week one went to 10 different receivers, and then he used eight different receivers in week two. If you had told me that Minshew would be this fun a player and this buzzy a player, I would think, oh, what's Chark, like wide receiver eight? Because I, I would think that they were just going to pepper Chark coming off the bus. And Minshew has been spreading the ball around. We saw Tyler Eifert look really good mm-hmm. last week. Cole's been active. They've gotten Chenault going. So it's it's a little bit... On one hand, I think it's smart of Minshew to play that way and the offensive design and, and the job Jake Gruden's doing. I didn't like Jake Gruden as a head coach. Some people have different opinions on how good of a coordinator he could be. I, I think he's perfectly fine to work with Minshew, and it seems like they're clicking so far. Uh, there were some some successes in his time at Washington, although the underlings under Peyton were so good. Remember, Sean McVay was a, was a coach there. They had some other people who have gone on to better things that were part of that staff. That You, you never really know, with, you know who's really – like when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, you know, Peterson got a lot of credit. Was it really Frank Reich? who was the puppeteer of that offense. And, you know, Eagles haven't been the same since Reich left, although it seems like every 10 minutes an Eagles player gets hurt. So I know that's part of the problem. So I'm a little disappointed in Chark's start. He's been dinged up. They're spreading the ball around. Of course, they only threw 20 passes in the first game. But the good news is that makes Cole in deeper leagues, you know, wide receiver three, a flex type. I, I'm plugging him in. I even targeted him in a trade. It's a deeper league. It's a 14-team league. But he was somebody – who I wanted to get my hands on. James Robinson looks really good. It's not unusual to see undrafted running backs. There's so much talent in the NFL that just needs a chance. And Robinson seems like one of those guys. And I think it was his camp that encouraged them to get rid of Fournette. They, they were out on Fournette anyway, but sure. I think Robinson playing well in the summer made that possible. Hasten the process. Uh, hasten the process. And there's a couple of Miami guys I'm excited about. You know, Miles Gaskin has been their best running back in two straight games. And he was a four-year starter at Washington. He didn't go to like some school nobody heard of. He played in the Pac-12. He was all Pac-12 one year, started as a freshman. I guess he didn't have the greatest combine and maybe the greatest measurables, so he only went in the seventh round. But I, he looks better than the other two guys there. And, I, and I've generally been a Brita apologist. Even Howard, I thought, in the seventh or eighth round made sense. And now I'm thinking, I want to see if Gasking can get involved. And one thing about Gusecki, who we know is a spark guy, we know is a combine superstar and all that. 
he plays so much in the slot. I, I looked at the stats. I don't know if it's through one week or through two weeks, but he was the runaway tight end getting the most slot reps. He's basically a receiver. Right. And we love tight ends who don't block, who don't chip, who don't put their hand on the ground. We want them to be treated as jumbo receivers. And with Miami, in part because they have no receiver depth, they've had all sorts of injuries. I think Gusecki has a good chance to lead this team in catches and yards. I think the, the prop on him, I think for the yardage in this game was pretty low. It was in the 40s. I think I think that's a good opportunity. I think you know, look. There's a lot of tight ends. It's it's everybody's got a tight end they like who was inexpensive. Some people thought it was Hurst or or Johnny Smith. Hawkinson and Fant both looked really good. And I don't know what I was doing with all these tight ends because they had George Kittle not that long right. ago too. But so there's a lot of good emerging tight ends. And it's not like if you don't have Gasecki, so what? You might you might have Fant or you, or you might have Smith. But I think Gasecki's going to go down as as definitely a, a profit player in fantasy. Yeah. Uh, I, I think so too. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, they, they lost two, they had two opt outs and then an injury. And then, you know, add on that, uh, you know, that, uh, they've had all, like nagging hamstring injuries on uh, the wide receiving core, you know, Preston Williams kind of looks like he's not quite all the way back. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's, yeah, it, it's, it's a perfect setup there. Perfect storm. And I, I think that's a great point about where he lines up too. Uh, and this should be a good game. Byron Jones is out for the Dolphins. Should be good for uh, the Miami. Uh, I mean, for the Jacksonville passing game. Yeah, I, give me lots of points on Thursday night. Don't often think that, predict that. We'd like to say that Thursday night's a sloppy game and all that. But the way the NFL is being played this year, yeah, maybe not. Maybe this will be a higher, higher scoring game. Maybe it's been pinball through two weeks, rounds. right? It's been the scoring's been crazy. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the refereeing. Uh, I was. Just, I just finished the rewatch of Detroit and Green Bay. End of the second quarter, there is a sequence there, back-to-back penalties on uh, 25 Harris. Big penalties, both. Uh, one was really kind of a cheesy one. Down, I thought it was like leading with the shoulder on a sideline play. Like, are you not allowed to play defense anymore? I just, I, it, it's getting to be, and I'm, I'm pretty, I feel like I'm pretty progressive when it comes to the sports and dealing with sports injuries and things like that. I'm not one of those. Oh, they're they're not tough these days or anything like that. I've seen some stuff. I feel bad if you're for people trying to play defense right now, especially defensive back. It's hard. It's really hard. It's never been harder to play defense with the speed of the game and the hitting area because there's so many parts of the offensive player's body where they don't want you to hit. So the, it feels like the hitting area sometimes is a postage stamp. And this is a dynamic player moving at a fast rate of speed who may be turning and contorting his body. So what is a defender to do? And just to throw an extra wrench into it, we have never seen a time in the NFL where there is this many mobile quarterbacks. And what a, and now look, we know the quarterback, you know, Rich Rebar said, you know, the cheat code, the Konami code. We know, I've, I've always said, it's just algebra, right? Tim Tebow is a good fantasy quarterback because he runs so much. He doesn't have to be good at throwing the ball. So we, we have always known that running for fantasy is good for quarterbacks. But now, when you see some of the athletes and they get it, they know the quarterback knows they can't get hit. They know I mean, they, they could get hit, but they're going to get the flag. They know they can slide. They know they can duck out of bounds. What does the defender do? There's Kyler Murray running around. And if you lay the lumber to him or, or God forbid you try to hit him at the time when he goes to duck down, you're going to hit him in the head. You're in. There's the penalty. Maybe you'll be ejected. It, it puts a conflict in the defender that I, I don't know what to tell them. I, what are you going to say? You'll see, see the future, you know, be, be a half second more mentally alert than the other player. It, it just feels like 
it's impossible to defend these guys. So I, I feel for that. And the one thing I can't get my hands on, I, I know we talked about this before the show. I, I wrote a blog just saying, taking the loss on Cam Newton. I, I wasn't sure how healthy he was. He went to New England. I didn't like the puzzle pieces there. I, you know, all the, all the offensive pieces that Brady was struggling with were, were left over for Cam. Offensive line coach, Dante Scarnecchio, one of the best line coaches of all time, he retired. They didn't really upgrade the receivers. You know, Somehow they ended up with Nikhil Harry and a class of receivers that were unbelievable. Harry was hurt part of the year, but you know, it doesn't look like he's anything special. So I wasn't bullish on Newton. And I, I'm like, well, yeah, I know he's going to run some. They're making him a running back. And not just... He's not the Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson. Okay, I'll, I'll slide. I'll run out of bounds. I'll, I'll pick up the yardage when I can, whatever. Newton runs up the middle and gets tackled by three or four guys. He's a physical runner. He's a practically Marshawn Lynch. And I know two games isn't a lot, but he's on pace right now to be the first quarterback since the merger to have over 200 rushing attempts. Last year, Jackson had 176, I want to say, something in that neighborhood. That was a record post-merger. The, the, you want to get somebody with more rushing attempts, you have to go back to like the 40s or 50s with Spec Sanders, and the game was totally different then. But can you – again, this isn't Newton being judicious about running. This is him running. He's their goal line back. He's their yeah. short yardage back. When the game was in the balance against Seattle, we, everybody in the building knew it was going to be Cam Newton running, especially when they went tight formation, which I think was a mistake. I, I think you get to have some threat of a pass there as dynamic as Newton is. But – can Newton – look, I'm taking the loss. I mean, he threw for almost 400 yards in that game, and he's making it work with the pieces that Brady couldn't make it work with. So I tip my cap to McDaniels. I tip my cap to Newton. Belichick has, has gone out of his way to praise Newton for his work ethic, for his commitment. I think part of that is a little bit of just a sell job to, to get Newton acclimated and to make him feel like he's you – know, just to give him a certain gravitas with the team, the name of a captain and all that. But Newton looks terrific. The only thing that makes me – kind of reassures me or makes me feel better about missing out on Newton is there's so many right answers at quarterback. I, mean, I have Russell Wilson on a lot of teams. I have Matt Ryan on a lot of teams. I, I mince you on, on some super flex teams. I mean, those teams are doing fine, but still I'm taking the loss on Newton. I just wonder, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to like you know, wish this on, on any kind of injury or anything, but I just wonder, can you run, can you handle Cam Newton? Can you run him like a running back for 16 weeks? Can they get away with that? Is that sustainable? I'm not sure if it is or it isn't. What do you think? I I think they want to be able to lessen some of the punishment he's going to take, but he is bigger. I I think one of the things that worked in his favor is that long amount of time off Mm -hmm. that, you know, he, he got, he left. He got hurt week two, I think, in that Thursday night game against Tampa Bay that got delayed by the rain and all that and didn't come back after that. He was clearly hobbled. You know, every, all this time he's been trying to come back from something. He had plenty of time just to heal. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big deal. I think that's one of the reasons why he's, you know, why he, he looks dynamic again, too. Uh, I love that they, uh, I, I love that they uh, modeled the offense. They built the offense around what he does. And that's one of the best parts about this is that, you know, remember all that talk? Oh, are they going to have enough time to change the offense? Uh, they were, I mean, they wouldn't have signed him if they hadn't already been contemplating that. You know, it, it, he's a very talented, McDaniel's a, obviously a very talented coordinator. They mm-hmm. obviously don't go into anything with wantonly. They, they, they think about it ahead of time. And clearly they, they had this plan that they were, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And, you know, they did this before signing him. They talked, I'm sure they had the conversation. Is this viable? Yes, it is. It's, not only is it viable, but it's great. And I think that's one of the things that masks 
the person, the supporting personnel around him a little bit. It's not a great receiver crew. Uh, it's just not. And it's not a great offensive line, but his mobility papers over a lot of that. Also not the same defense. They had so many opt-outs. They had basically yeah. a totally new linebacking core. It's not any walk of shame to get exposed by Russell Wilson, especially now that he's got the two best receivers he's ever had. I mean, you know, I was a big Doug Baldwin guy, but I mean, he's got Lockett and Metcalf now and daily Metcalf looks like a superstar and, and Tyler Lockett is a very, very good player. Yeah. And you know how I feel about Wilson, but um, did you end up with any Newton? Were you proactive drafting him? Yeah, I got him in a lot of leagues, including okay. Sin City, our auction that we did together. Good for you. You weren't the only one that has to take the Helen Cam Newton. I got him for six bucks in a, in a, in a super flex league. Uh, where six know, bucks, six bucks, and I was like, "Does everybody hate Newton?" And I, I you know, I, I was by design trying to get three cheap quarterbacks. That, that I wanted to do go that so I could have players at every other position and have some redundancy. Uh, and that, you know, I kind of it's one of the things that you and I tend to do in this league. That you know, it used to be the Stopa League. Now it's the Sin City League, and you know, ha, it's a lot of spots. There's three receivers, a super mm-hmm. flex, and two other flexes, two tight ends. You don't really want to have dead spots. You don't, you know. I, I think Stars and Scrubs doesn't work very well in that league, but you you want quarterbacks, and that, the Cam was a target for sure. Uh, I got lucky there that I got him so cheaply, because and maybe it's just a function of when he came up. I have a the way I like to frame it, a callback to Rob, Robert Altman's movie The Player, mm-hmm. where the tagline of the movie was "No stars, just talent," and in leagues like that where it's very deep with starters. And you need a, a roster with a lot of good players on it. I like to have a lot of B plus guys. A lot yeah. of you know, on that team, I have Adam Thielen, I have Tyler Lockett, I have Mark Andrews, who everybody liked, but he wasn't Kelsey Kittle expensive. You know, I have a lot of these secondary guys. It's like yeah. hitting a three. It's, it's the equivalent of hitting a three wood off the tee when everybody else is hitting driver. And uh, you know, I think human with three woods. Not that my my team is okay in that league. It's it's not. It will contend. I I do take. I try not to be a victory lap guy, but I'm very proud of the fact that in every year of the Stopa League and what's become the the post Stopa League, I've made the playoffs every year. Yeah, which I feel good about. Um, and we won the league last year somehow. I don't. I don't think we had a great team. I think we just got lucky in the playoffs. But whatever. I mean, the skill of fantasy is make the playoffs and try to get lucky. Sure. In any event, I like. I'm a three wood guy, and when everybody else hit and driver in that league. I want good players. Don't don't misunderstand that. You need that. And I when I took Mark Andrews when I purchased him, I thought he had in his range of outcomes he could be the tight end one. And you know, it's not like you know, what, what was he tight end three or tight end four in ADP. It's not like people aren't hip to Andrews. So I don't want to act like he was some hidden restaurant or something. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's that's the way I generally do that. I'm hitting the three woods. I'm looking for the B plus guys, and I want to have. I want to beat people with depth. I, I wasn't. I don't go into that league. I, I mean, it's easy to say it now because McCaffrey got hurt. But I knew when I went into that league, I wasn't going to be the guy who had McCaffrey. Same at, at whatever that price was. I don't even think McCaffrey was that expensive. But I, I don't want. I don't want to get stuck with the one dollar players at the end. I think. Now, granted, you know some of the guys that I, I chose proactively haven't. You know, I, I thought Chris Herndon was going to be good. I've, I've kind of walked that back now. Um, I'm thinking long-term with chase Edmonds that that could be a long-term thing and, and who knows i mean if drake never gets hurt maybe Edmonds doesn't become anything of use but in that type of format i like the the three wood i like the no stars just tell them yeah I, I think that's smart i think that's really smart and I, that's what i like to do too i i kind of went a, a little higher i mean i was going i was aiming for end of the first round guys got chubb jacobs and dalvin mm. Uh, in that league, and I also added you have all uh, three of those guys. Wow! And I got a, yeah. Well, and the thing is, I was planning on getting two, and when Jacobs stopped at like 
27, 28. I was like, okay, I'm, it's, I'm getting them. And well, I, when Chubb, when I got Chubb for the price I did, that's when I realized I could afford three uh, and still fit everything that I wanted to. Wow, you have a good team. I guess the, the only thing you – I'm looking at your roster now. I'm not sure who Beckham is anymore. And you need to figure out the second quarterback because even if Garoppolo is healthy, I, I think it's open to question how good he is. I, yeah. I, I think he's closer to being just an average guy. And if Kittle's going to be hurt and if Debo's going to be hurt, we'll see if, if Debo ever gets back to the player he can be mm-hmm. when healthy. Like you'll, you'll need to solve that out. But, man, Cook, Chubb, and, and Jacobs. Jacobs is a guy – I think I let my distrust of John Gruden cloud me on Jacobs and – and then even this year, I was like, well, I didn't trust they wanted to throw him the ball. And they, they added all these receivers and all that. And I wasn't proactive with Jacobs. I didn't want to draft Waller. And those look like huge mistakes. I uh, not that, I still think the Raiders are like a 6-10 and 10 team. I know they started off 2-0. and oh. I still don't think they're necessarily that good. I'm not a believer in Derek Carr. But right. I wish I had Jacobs and Waller on some teams. I don't think I have them anywhere. I was just going to say, they don't need to be a good team for those two to pay off, too. That's sure. the good thing. I mean, yes, you want... Jacobs on a winning team, preferably that means you're you know grinding it out like they did the other. He's day. good, man. He makes so much yards after contact, and they have a good line anyway. Yeah, that's right. And before I get too proud of myself on that team, I lost uh, to super fan Ted Bell uh, this past week because I got you know I got Jonesed uh, pretty hard, but that that's okay. He had a, he had a great week, and I did not. Um, so so it goes. But uh, yeah, I, you know you're right. Quarterback is going, but you know it's kind of a, you know I knew the war. I had quarterbacks with warts. And I was hoping one would really pan out one weekend. It looks like it has, and the others would be serviceable. And I, I, I always get three if I can in that league. That's one of the yeah, quarterback depth and super flex is, is, is very important. And it gives you flexibility. And in one of the other Brad Evans leagues, I had three quarterbacks and, and Andy Barron's needed a quarterback. And it's funny. He was interested initially sniffing around on Bridgewater, who was my ostensible, my quarterback three. I, I think I have Matt Ryan at one, mm-hmm. Reese at two, and, and Bridgewater at three. And then I, I got to the point where if he was willing to, quote-unquote, upgrade to Breeze, I, I was actually more comfortable doing that, getting more back, and just living with Bridgewater anyway, because I just want Drew Breeze out of my fantasy life. I Not that I... Th- it's been posited that maybe this is his Peyton Manning final season. Season, you know, maybe they, there's a team with a really good roster, and they're a contender, and they could go deep in the playoffs. But Breeze is not the guy. Now, now Manning was awful that that last season. I don't think Breeze will, will be to that level. But agreed. Let's just let's just say I I don't have any fear, and, and look, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I once famously traded Tom Brady in the middle of the season, worried that the Patriots were in trouble, and they won the Super Bowl that year. And I, you know, it was one of the worst trades anybody's ever made. In fantasy, you know, I'm not afraid. To, I'm not afraid to make a move that might be a mistake. I think if you if you live scared in any discipline of life, if you don't trust your instincts, you're making a huge mistake, and you have to live with the fact that sometimes it's just going to look bad, and that can't bother you. But I don't have any fear that I'm going to look back and think, "Oh man, you know, Breeze was quarterback six. Well, you know, I, I screwed up. I, I never should have traded him. I I was actually kind of glad to get off that bus." Yeah, I don't. I don't blame you. We, we, I remember our conversation on SiriusXM last week. How we both kind of took some flack for our Breeze ranking, and if if not for garbage time, he would have lived down to it. I mean, he, he got 312 yards, but 100 of them were in the last like six minutes of the game. And when the Raiders were giving him short stuff because yes. they needed two scores, and Breeze was. It's funny how quarterbacks sometimes it almost seems like they're trying to pad their stats or just you know improve their quarterback rating by taking a bunch of seven yard completions. I'm. I don't think Breeze has confidence throwing the ball downfield. And, of course, he's missing his best receiver, too. Yeah. 
That's right. I have them like 15 or 16 this week against the Packers, and I, I almost think that might be high, but we'll see. Uh, you know, but I, yeah, I share your distrust. Uh, before we move on to other uh, notes for this week, a quick note from our sponsor, Prediction Strike. Prediction Strike is a fancy sports stock market on which you can buy and sell shares of professional athletes as if they were stocks. Ever heard someone say, I've had stock in this player since day one? Well, now, Prediction Strike makes that a real possibility, and it forces you to check your assertion, too. You had stock in Patrick Mahomes' rookie year? You knew this would happen? Now it's a reality. Create a portfolio of all your favorite athletes and get closer to the game than ever before. To get started, simply visit PredictionStrike.com to create an account. Then deposit funds to buy, sell, and hold shares of your favorite players just like you would real stocks. Each game is like an earnings report. If the player beats his projection, his stocks move up. It's that easy. You can trade your shares of players at any time as long as the player isn't currently in a game. Get started today by visiting PredictionStrike.com and sign up with code ROTOWIRE to get an additional $10 with your first deposit of $20 or more. I'm Jeff Erickson. My guest is Scott Pianowski from Yahoo Fantasy Sports, also known as the verbal doppelganger to Rufus Peabody, apparently. Uh, (laughs) Judging by that. We have you guys each week. Rufus is on Wednesdays. You're on Thursdays on this show. Uh, And you're both known for your measured, thoughtful, non-emotional takes. It's kind of funny. You know, some people are hype guys. You guys are thoughtful guys, and I I think these are better conversations. I do too. Um, first of all, I, I want to acknowledge that it's it's flattering to be mentioned in the same breath as Rufus Peabody, and we're talking about an Ivy League guy who's one of the sharpest people in, in his industry. And um, you know, Massey Peabody was I think revolutionary and innovative, and and Rufus is his bona fides speak for themselves. So yeah, I made the emphasis joke emphasis on, on the word sharp when it comes to him. He is yeah. the sharp, you know, they're, they're sharps and squares. He, I'm Mick Squarexon. He is the sharp. I just love that. He, again, he's, you know, he understands that you have to try to go into this as unemotionally as possible. I'm not saying, look, if you want to, you want to watch the game and yell and scream and cheer and, and rant and do all that. You, you can do whatever you, you feel, but I think the approach of Rufus, the thoughtful, you, you can almost, kind of sense that he's got his you know his hand on his chin and he's just kind of pondering what's going on um i that's kind of the the style that i have I, again you know it's 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 a reach to compare me to rufus peabody because i i don't have a yale education he's, he's just a really sharp guy and I, I joked when somebody said that we had similar type of voices i said yeah you know if it's something really smart being said it's probably rufus not me but uh, a really great guest that you guys have on the show and, and somebody who, who i consider a friend and, and just um I love his approach. I love how he, he looks at the game. And I also just love how he's just trying to find the truth. And he's not trying to tell you, oh, yeah, I called this. And, oh, well, let me quote tweet something I said eight months ago that looks good now. He's, right. he's not about that. He's just trying to look forward. He's trying to to be honest and transparent. And just there's a lot in his approach that I admire and I try to take in my own game. Same, same. And when we're doing, like, staff picks and all that when he's like strongly on one side and I'm on the other, and maybe even in some cases as a best bet, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to change it because it, that that's like, it's supposed to be my pick and it's already in usually by then. But same time, like, Oh, that doesn't, I don't feel so great. Let me ask you about staff picks. I, cause I have a problem, Jeff. I keep picking the friggin' jets and it's so I frustrating this week. Oh. I hate Atticus. <laughs> I hate this team, but it's 11 freaking points. That's right. so much of the NFL. I, you know, it's like, 
Um, I, I don't, it, it can't be as simple as just pick against the bad coaches. Cause there's a point spread and nobody it gets to the point where nobody wants to take the bad team. So you have to hold your nose, right? I, I took the justice week. I don't feel good about it, but I, I see those big numbers. I don't like the spot double digits in the NFL. I think if you almost reflexively took every double digit underdog in the NFL, you'd, you'd probably be doing it right. Yeah. I set my line at eight and a half, I think for that one. And then I was like, Oh, I thought the line would be seven. You know, you know, we do it. Listen, I do this whole guess the lines thing where you set your own line, you try to guess what the line's going to be. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm pretty rigorous about not getting spoiled by a line, you know, which, believe it or not, it's kind of hard to do. Uh, you know, it's what do you mean by that? So common parlance now. Uh, but I, I usually am pretty good, except for maybe a game or two, uh, you know, a month or so that I get spoiled on. I hear from like a local beat writer or whatever. Oh, I see. But, you know, I, I said, my line's eight and a half. I think it'll be seven. Oh, it's ten and a half? Really? Dang it. I'm on the Jets. You know, you, you, you set it higher, hoping that you're going to be on one side, and you're still taking the other. Uh, I, I wonder what my percentage is on. I bet you I'm actually better on that when, you know, I pick something despite myself. It's interesting that the Steelers minus four is your best bet of the week, and I hated doing it. I took the Texans. Another thing was, like, who wants to be on the side of Bill O'Brien? Sure. I don't really know what to make of the Steelers. I know their defense is very good, but when I mean, they played the Giants, who couldn't get out of their own way in the first game, and then they played Denver, who had a quarterback injury right away. And mm-hmm. I don't think Driscoll's all that bad. Maybe he's as good as Drew Locke anyway. But the point is, the Broncos don't have a plus quarterback, and for all the problems with the Texans, they still have Deshaun Watson. I, I took Houston. I'm, I'm not passionate about it. I'm not going to put a penny on that game. I'm, I'm nervous that maybe I'm on the wrong side of it, but uh, interesting to see Steelers are your best bet. Yeah, you know, part of that is because it's the offensive line for the Texans. I just think they're not good. Uh, I think that they're doing they're really uh, doing a poor job projecting Watson, who I thought was running for his life against the Ravens, and I see this as a very similar matchup, and it's on the road. Uh, I, but you're right that Watson's the best quarterback they faced, and it's not especially close. Will Fuller is dealing with a hammy again. You know, he stayed in the game. He came back into the game, but he didn't get targeted. He was just in decoy mode after that. Kind of like, here we go again with Will Fuller, by the way. And, yeah, of course, the the B.O.B. factor is definitely present. It's definitely one of those things you're kind of thinking of, like, he'll punt it away at some point in time, too. But that's baked into the line, theoretically. It's kind of like, just like we were talking about with Gaze and the Jets. The O'Brien factor is there, too, probably. Although I think the public views O'Brien as a better coach than the fantasy uh, gambling community does. You know, for as much as I don't like Bill O'Brien, especially the executive, and a lot of things in-game I don't like either. I mean, they've made the playoffs a lot of times in Houston, so you have to respect that. They were good enough to get a big lead to blow against the Chiefs in the first place. Right, right. Also, I think Watson... As much, I love Deshaun Watson as a player. I love him as a person. He's he's just along been so I loved him in college at Clemson. And just a really good you know, he reminds me so much of work done. I mean, he just understands his role in society and how he can make the world a better place and be a good person and he's so admirable to me. But mm-hmm. I think yeah, the line isn't good. But he also a lot of those sacks are on him. Every yeah. quarterback it's like when Wentz got sacked eight times in the first game, it, it's so easy to say, oh, you know, Eagles have so many injuries on the offensive line. You know, Wentz doesn't have a chance. But every blitz has an indicator before the snap. And sacks, you have to watch the game 
and, and to be honest with you, to really get this right, you have to probably understand football at a level that is probably over my head. But you know, maybe you need to be a former quarterback or former coach or Greg Cosell or somebody. But right. the point is, sacks. It isn't just oh, the line stinks. So it's you know that's why they're allowing sacks. And quarterbacks are culpable, and a lot of times they hold the ball too long. A lot of times they had a hot read, they didn't throw it. A lot of times they didn't adjust the protection. Yes, are there jailbreaks where the quarterback has absolutely no chance? Yes. But I think sacks are actually – every team is different, of course. But I think sacks are a little bit more of a quarterback stat than they are an offensive line stat. And I think as much as I love Russell Wilson, I think he, you know, you have to live – it's a gift and curse when you have that playmaking ability that sometimes you're going to try to make that extra guy miss and buy an extra second and you're not going to see the other defender who's on the other side of you. I mean every once in a while you're going to run into that. And that you have to live with that with Wilson, and you have to live with that with Watson. So I, as much as I don't like their line, I do think at times Watson, in the aim of trying to make an explosive play, sometimes he runs into a sack, too. Yeah, and you mentioned Wentz, and I think that's a great example. He actually didn't get sacked against the Rams after getting sacked eight times by football team the week before. But re-watching that Washington game, you could see that he there's there's one thing about getting sacked and there's another thing about making that sack worse like Wentz turned uh there was a third down play where they're on the 25 of, of Washington and he got pushed back like 13 yards he kept trailing backwards backpedaling backpedaling couldn't get rid of it another time when he got sat there was a sack fumble where he didn't put it away he kind of you know wandered into traffic again didn't get rid of it uh, I was seeing PFF, I uh, was doing a breakdown of him a little bit, not trusting his receivers, receivers not making the right breaks, a little bit of all that. So all that's there, but there's kind of a duty to mitigate. And Wentz didn't do that. Right. A quarterback, I'm glad you mentioned the fumbles. It's like you look at Daniel Jones, and if he's going to be special, if he's going to be a long-term answer for the Giants, he needs ball security, he needs to get better. That was a yeah. huge problem. And again, you, you want I mean, you want him to hold the ball. You want him to look downfield. You want him to not be too sensitive to the rush where they perceive pressure when sometimes it isn't there or where they get skittish and all that. I mean, you need to have the nerve to hold the ball, but you can't give it away. Right. That's why the Buccaneers went for Brady, right? I mean, I, he doesn't have the arm talent that Winston has, but the idea was that Brady would protect the ball. Of course, you know, he hasn't really done a great job of that through two weeks, but the the pocket awareness, it's a huge thing. It's a hard thing to quantify sometimes, especially in college. I think of somebody like Matt Leinart, where he was so good at USC, but he, the pocket was so clean and the receivers are wide-ass open. And it doesn't replicate what you're going to see in the NFL, where the windows are so much tighter and the pockets are generally muddier, especially mm-hmm. if you get drafted by a team that's a losing team. They may not have a great offensive line. I mean, look at – I've been impressed with Burrow. I, I, I've been pro-Burrow the whole time. I – I would would have liked if maybe he got off to a better start, but I mean, look, that offensive line is terrible. They've been behind in every game, so it makes it easier to defend schematically. But he's seeing more, much more pressure than he ever saw at LSU. Not that he wasn't rushed, and the SEC has good defenses, but um, it's just interesting. I mean, I don't know how many games he lost at LSU. It wasn't many. I mean, he's already lost a couple of games with the Bengals. You can see him getting a little frustrated by it, but. Uh, it's sometimes it's hard to know. I, I'm still pro Burrow, and I want to be clear on that. But I think in a case of like a guy like Matt Leinart, he just never you couldn't really gauge his pocket awareness at USC because he was never asked to play under duress that much. Right, right. And when you look at the Bengals, and you see, oh, you signed Bobby Hart. Oh, you extended Bobby Hart. Oh, he's starting. Really? You know that 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 
that's that's kind of where the Bengals are at. But uh, you know, it's funny. There's all this optimism about how they were spending money this off season, but it, it's kind of like winning the winter uh, or winning the off season. You know, you still it, you have to win the off season because the season wasn't so great to begin with, and you know, you get there's a long way to go, and that's that's pretty much where we're at there. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. Uh, he's got a lot to learn. Like that scramble play where he tried to spin move on the outside, and uh, he just said, "Okay, nice, nice spin." Now you go down. Uh, you know, just get rid of the ball, please. <laughs> we're, we're, five years from now, where's Joe Burrow? What is Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow's has one Pro Bowl under his belt, and at least maybe two. I, 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 I believe I'm buying into it. He looks the part to me. And I think with a little bit more protection, a little bit more experience at the speed of the of the NFL, he's going to be fine. I mean, he he made mostly good, almost mostly good decisions that game. I mean, there you know later on, same situation. He learned to get rid of it better, and he made a lot of good reads. I like that he he didn't have that defeatist attitude at all. Uh, I, I, there was a lot to like about him. I like the poise. Um, it's just. What what can the Bengals surround them with, and especially on the line? I think they've got a lot of skill position players around them. Uh, I, I mean, they they got uh, Higgins looked uh, pretty promising, and of course, I think he's got a connection with Boyd. Still think there's Green's not completely bad. Uh, completely, you know, I don't think the cheese has gone completely bad on him. But you know, there's there's a little corner of mold on there. But uh, I, I still think there's a little bit left there. You know, Who are you worried about? You said you're not completely off on Green. Um, are you worried about T.Y. Hilton? Are you worried about Todd Gurley? Is there anybody that jumps out as a player like, oh, man, get me off? I talked about getting getting Breeze off my team. Yeah, well, I, I, I Love Bell was on my do-not-fly list. Mm-hmm. Uh, Todd Gurley is not on any of my teams. Uh, so I'm not worried about him. I'm just, you know, although Gurley's, Gurley's holding up so far. Gurley is also, you know, you know getting a pretty decent-sized workload, too. Uh, but... You know, I, I just don't want to be there for that. You know, any- let me contest that on Gurley. Doesn't have a broken tackle yet. Yeah. Some goal line carries went to Edo Smith last week, and after getting all of one receiving yard in week one, they didn't. I don't think they targeted Gurley in week two. So the, talk about a narrow usage tree, right? It's those That's three true. receivers and Hurst, and they're throwing a lot of passes, and they're they're not throwing those passes to Todd Gurley. I there's a guy. If you could, if he has a game that's sellable, if if he, you know, I don't know, has like 115 yards and a touchdown in a given week, that's the week to get off that bus. I I don't have any long term faith in Curly. Yeah, I don't either. Um, and I don't, ha- I don't, ha- I just saying, I'm just saying from a look from afar, not on my team sort of way. Uh, he's been fine so far, but you know, I I haven't had to examine that one. Let's let's just leave it at that. Okay. I won't be trading for him. I won't be trying a buy low on him. I definitely won't be on Bell. Uh, and nothing against Bell's. I, know, I think it's just if Bell ends up on another team, maybe he has a resurgence. I think there's no chance on the Jets. Just none. I mean, how can you feel confident about the Jets? I, I was pro Chris Herndon before the season. I've walked that one back. I've even cut him in some leagues. Yeah, I, I can see it. I can see it. And poor Darnold. I mean, didn't want to talk about different organization, maybe a different fate. And just look at these dolphins. Look at Parker. Look at uh, you know Drake. You know they, they're not perfect going forward since, but it, it shows that there is at least something there. You know Gasecki for that matter too. Uh, you know it, taking removing that element has been a boon to all of them. Yeah, I know it's become a, a convenient joke, but I mean I, I like to say that what's the key to success, right? It's it's hard work, it's attention to detail, and it's escaping Adam Gase. Yeah, I still think Darnold, who's younger than Joe Burrow. 
and I guess that's going to be true for the rest of their lives. It's the way birthdays work. I still think Sam Darnold can be a really good player. Uh, but we talked about Burrow earlier. I just want to point out that I think he's upside. I would think in five years he's – think of the best you've ever felt about Carson Wentz. I think that's what Burrow will be in five years, something like that, where you, maybe he's not the poster child of the league, but I think mm-hmm. he'll be a, certainly a plus starter. I'd and like that. you know, He could go to a pro ball. He could lead teams to the playoffs, that type of thing. Yeah. But Darnold, if the Jets bottom out and they're in – pole position to get Lawrence or get whatever quarterbacks you have fields, whoever comes out and you know, Darnold ends up, okay, they're going to move on from him or whatever. I, man, if I were an organization, I would try to get that guy. I still think there's a lot of talent there. I like, I think he's got the the type of makeup that is conducive to having a, a plus career. I, I, I still believe in Sam Darnold. I just think right now he's just been thrown into shark infested waters and they're like, swim. Good yeah. luck. Yeah. And I don't know how anybody could come out of there handling it. I, the offensive line was so bad last year. And we'll see. When teams fortify an offensive line, it still takes time. I've, I've heard Ross Tucker talk about this. And maybe it still takes like a month for that unit to really gel. Right. So they, they, they did the things you want to do when your offensive line stinks. They, they brought in reinforcements. But maybe that stuff needs some time. It doesn't help that Crowder's out of the mix. They, they didn't bring back Anderson. They, they made the move for Perryman, and he was hurt all summer. I just don't know how Darnold could possibly succeed with everything around him crumbling. I agree. Uh, and yet you see these like quarterbacks that fail that are like elite, you know, elite level. Look at Josh Rosen. Look at the environment he stepped into in Arizona and then Miami, and he's essentially done in this league. I mean, maybe he gets a chance somewhere else and gets a chance. Uh, you know, Blake Bortles, you know, is now a, is kind of a punchline. He took a team to the AFC Championship game. You know, defense really took that team, but you know, well, we're, we're quibbling now. Uh, but you know, he was there. He he wasn't like hindering them from getting there either. Uh, and you know, it, Blaine Go Go Gabbert. You know, sometimes he, he, you know, teams do right by cutting bait. But you kind of wonder, like, what if he had stepped into a more ready-made situation? You know, what, would he have been better off? You know, what what if he actually waited, like, learned his ropes, not playing for a year, and then jumped in? You know, you kind of wonder these. You know, if situations that used to happen a lot more frequently in the NFL, that do you do you serve that apprenticeship and actually become better because of that? I guess the hope would be you think of it, it's unrealistic to think that somebody's going to be like a Steve Young who was horrible with the Buccaneers and then he landed in the perfect captain's chair with the 49ers. Although Young was legitimately a, a superstar in his own right, but. I also think of somebody in back to the Bucks. Think of a ten of Vinny Testaverde, who was just an interception machine. Remember, he owns owns the record for interceptions in the season. Tampa Bay. It's not Winston. Uh, Vinny had more than the thirty James threw last year. Although the context was different, it, right. interceptions were a lot more common in Vinny's day. But he ended up being a plus starter for the Browns. He ended up in the Ravens, I think it was, and then he had a, a really good year for the Jets and, and played into his forties and actually is really high up on a, a lot of NFL leaderboards. Part of it is just the counting and the volume, but I think he had a respectable career that started off horribly because he landed, you know, much like Rosen did. And maybe Darnold did. He just landed in a situation that I don't think was tenable for anybody. So maybe some of these quarterbacks, you know, maybe Rosen again, yeah, look upside talent. I, I know that the draft is incredibly inexact, and it's not that uncommon. You know, Brady was a six-round pick. Tony Romo wasn't drafted. Kurt Warner wasn't drafted. You know, I do like Minshew, who was a late-round pick, and all that stuff. But Josh Rosen was liked, was respected, was yeah. rated as a prospect for a reason. And he played at UCLA. You know, it's not like he played against bad competition or something. And 
I, I don't know Rosen personally. I don't see any reason why he went. The situation specifically that he was in at the time looked really difficult to win, and then he gets thrown into a Miami situation, and, and he got almost no chance to play. And I would take a chance on Rose. I, I know he's on somebody's practice squad, and I can't remember who off the top of my head, but why not? Why not take a chance on a guy like that and just bring him in and let him absorb at his own pace and let him kind of fly under the radar for a while, and maybe you can maybe you can catch something. I I would always be looking to try to benefit from somebody else's and, and you see back to the Patriots I mean what have they done with Newton New England's done this so many times where they've taken the veteran player the shine is off the player and the cost comes way down and they make a chance they take a chance on them and a lot of them haven't worked out you know Chad Johnson didn't work out and they brought in Tory Holt at the end of his career and he was done Joey Galloway had nothing left Every once in a while, you get Randy Moss. Every once in a while, you get Corey Dillon. Every once in a while, you get Rodney Harrison. Every Cam once in a while, you get what looks like Cam Newton this year. And that's just you know, that's just being smart, seeing the upside. You're buying it at the lowest acquisition cost, and you're you're getting a guy who may have a lot of good football left. So I I don't know. I I'd like to see. I don't know if Josh Rosen can't play. I feel like he got no chance. I, I'm not comfortable saying that Josh Rosen's just a throwaway. I understand why nobody wants to play him right now, but yeah. and I feel much more this take is much more passionate for Darnold. If he becomes available, I would love to see him get off that team and see what he could do with uh, a coach, you know, just a different voice in his ear. I, I just think he's been set up to fail. Agreed. And Rosen's, by the way, is on uh, Tampa Bay's practice squad. Okay. Uh, but uh, and I, I thought I knew that, but I had to verify that he was tenth overall. I thought for some reason I thought he was like fifth or sixth, but he was tenth. But yeah, same Darnold, difference. I mean, overall. top ten pick, and he was considered. I mean, he was somebody who people thought might go two or three. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Look, it's it's hard, man. You know, Mitch Trubisky famously went second in his draft class, and the funny thing about Trubisky is I actually think he's a good guy and handles a very unwinnable situation really well. I, I think he's pretty reasonable with the media in spite of the fact that whenever he does anything wrong, he just gets hammered on. And of course, Foles is just sitting there, you know, ready to come in whenever Trubisky really, really wets the bed, which I think everybody thinks is going to happen eventually, but it's, it's just hard. It's, you know, in college, Mahomes made a lot of mistakes and had a gunslinger mentality and, and people, not every, you know, read the scouting reports. Oh yeah. You know, um, I remember reading the scouting report, and this is more me having fun than anything because it's just hard. It's hard to scout. Even you know, Belichick's probably the best coach of all time, and he's made a million bad draft picks. You know, like, again, Nikhil Harry may be the latest, although we'll see. It's it's still early to say definitively what Harry is and isn't. But does the Patriots have had a lot of trouble drafting receivers? I don't know why the Steelers have the cheat code, have the answer key with the receivers, and nobody else can seem to figure it out. But um, I was laughing last year about the scouting report on AJ Brown that said maybe he was more quick than fast and maybe he lacked swagger in the Alabama game. And, yeah. you know, just these really incredibly pedantic little things. And I'm like, really, this is why you're not going to draft this guy. And then you watch him play and he looks like Terrell Owens. Yeah. No, look, I didn't see this coming with AJ Brown. It's interesting. He played on a college team that had so much talent, right? They couldn't get a quarterback. They couldn't kind of get adequate coaching, but um it's just funny. You look. I love to look back at scouting reports and see what they thought of people. And it's just it just underscores how hard it is. And even the people who are the smartest people in the league routinely make picks that don't make sense That's because right. it's just hard to know. And you're investing in a twenty or twenty one year old. Who's to say how dedicated he's going to be to his craft? You know, or how his body's going to mature as he gets a little bit older. I mean, this is, some of this stuff is unknowable. 
Yeah, I know, I know. And it, it really does illustrate what an inexact science it, science it is. Some of the comments when the Chiefs traded up to get uh, Mahomes at 10 were very... Uh, not compl- we're definitely not very complimentary, and you know it's funny he got to serve his apprenticeship. You know he got, and you know he had Alex Smith who worked with him. You know and Andy Reid he came into the right system again. We're talking about what if Josh Rosen gets drafted by the Chiefs instead of by by the Cardinals and with no offensive line in front of him. You know what if he got to play with Cliff Kingsbury as opposed to uh, you know you know Arians with a foot uh, a foot out the door. I mean. It wasn't Arians. I take that back. Arians was gone the year before that. But what if, you know, what happens if he, you know, he gets that perfect cushy setup in Kansas City? Well, maybe he, we're talking about him in a much different light. And it's, yeah. What if, what if Mitch Trubisky is on the Chiefs, right? Right. I, with Andy Reid. Yeah, I, I hear you. And I love the what if game. One of my favorite what ifs was the year the Chargers drafted Phillip Rivers. Remember, you remember Eli Manning didn't want to go there and they yep. ended up Rivers who Schottenheimer fell in love with, I think it was at the Senior Bowl. Rivers signed late his rookie year. He didn't get signed until, I think it was late August. So the idea of Rivers starting right away was out the window because he just he wasn't in camp. He didn't get the reps in. So they had to play Drew Brees, who at the time was just thought as a, a kind of an ordinary guy and somebody who was obviously going to lose his job the moment Rivers came. Well, Rivers signed late. They had to play Brees. Brees had a fantastic season. But at that point, they, they've invested in Rivers, so they can't keep Breeze. So then Breeze goes to Miami. They do the medicals. Saban's there at the time. They decide they don't trust his shoulder. He signs with New Orleans. There's a couple of great what-ifs with Breeze. If yep. Rivers signs on time, the league maybe never knows that Drew Breeze is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Maybe he's a backup the whole season, and then he gets signed as a back. He gets backup money somewhere else. He plays behind somebody who's good. He never gets a chance to play. You could have a totally different career. And who knows what might have happened in Miami. Maybe Nick Saban is with the Dolphins for 10 years. Right. So many amazing what-ifs there. It's really – we could spend a lot of time doing that. A uh, couple quick notes before we sign off. Jalen Rieger, bad news about him. Torn UCL in his thumb. Expected mm. to go on IL. I don't think he's on IL yet, but uh, you know, you're going to be without him for a while. That's eh, tough. You know, he had the shoulder injury first, and now this. You, you can't really buy much of a break. Yeah, man. Um, I, I guess the winner and all that is Goddard. This is yeah. other than the Patriots with Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. I can't remember a team having two fantasy playable tight ends, but the Eagles are going to have that all season. I didn't proactively draft Goddard. I just liked other tight ends, and I thought the presence of Earth. I knew they would find ways for both of those guys to be productive, but I also thought that they would finally maybe get a break at receiver. I, I wasn't in on Jeffrey, but I thought maybe some other guys would pop, but with with Rieger out of the mix, I would think that the, if there's a winner and all that, it's going to be Goddard. Yeah, and and maybe a little Deshaun Jackson too. I, I think I think Wentz is the loser in this though too. He already has trouble trust issues with his wide receivers. Now you take away one of them. Ugh. Yeah, it's not great. Although get, they do get the Bengals, and I think Goddard does tear apart the Bengals this week. I think Miles Sanders goes crazy. Love him in DFS. I mean, you have to pay up for him for sure, but. Uh, Love that he got 75, I think it was 75% snaps his yeah. first game back. So a lot, I talked about a lot of times you need that prove-it game. I mean, they, they said loud and clear, he, all systems go, he's healthy. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, only the one fumble, but you know, I, other than that, he looked great. And I, I think there, I think there's probably a recovery week coming up for them uh, this week. We'll see. If they struggle against my Bengals, Scott, then you know there's some other some, some, uh, systemic issues going on there. 
Who did you take in that game? I might have taken the Bengals to cover. I think I set the line at like five and a half. And I six. did too. I think I have a Burrow problem. I just I, whether it's I believe in Burrow or I want Burrow to be a thing. Tyler Boyd's a commonly owned player. I try not to let that in, influence who I pick. Sure, of course. I just want wins. Well, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a sensibly a New England fan, and I, I'll pick against them in a drop of a hat. But right, right. And As you will with your Bengals. I know I, that. Hey, I, I got a side bet to win against you here too, and I know you got off to a good start. I don't know what you did last week, but. Uh, I'm already playing catch up there, so I'm a game up on you, and all of us are 500 or better. Pick up, check that out, rotowire.com staff picks. Chris Liss, Dalton Del Don, who I do a, a gambling podcast with on Yahoo. We just taped right before this show, so I want you to check that out. And of course, Chris Liss, Rotowire Kingpin. Yep. And Kevin, Kevin Payne. Payne. I mentioned Kevin said. Payne. I'm sorry if I didn't. Yeah, Kevin yeah. Payne, of course, the a long Buffalo time ago. Mafia has guy. to be represented on good, Rotowire. Good guy, parties. good friend. I yeah. uh, love Kevin. Yeah. Um, okay, and then uh, we haven't even touched on uh, – we did touch on Herbert and Taylor a little bit. Um, I forgot. Yeah, we did that. That was one of the things. Julio Jones is the other one I want to talk about. I have a really hard time with him and Devontae Adams this week and where to rank them. Uh, I think I just moved him down to like the 30s, I think, right now. I'll move him back up if I, get a, if I see a full practice. Uh, but, you know, you made the Fred Sanford comparison to Julio so many times. It's always ingrained in my head with him when I think of him, but – uh, it, it's it's looking worse right now. Yeah, and Adams has a late game on Sunday, which makes it complicated too. Yep. Although at least it may be possible in some leagues. Again, it, you, obviously context, you know, your your mileage will vary, but maybe you could have a Lazard or an MVS as a pivot play or Traquan Smith or somebody like that, somebody in one of the later games, or maybe you have to take a chance on like Willie Sneed in the Monday night game or Robinson, one of those guys. Well, what a great Monday night game, by the way, but I'm not optimistic about Julio or Adams right now, although you know how this injury game goes. I mean, Friday's the day that really matters. Uh, you know, a lot of times Wednesday is a maintenance day and most coaches want – there will be some exceptions. Sometimes teams will say emphatically, so-and-so is a veteran. They don't have to practice on Friday. But most coaches, the the party line is if you don't practice on Friday, you're not playing. So Friday, I always say when people ask me questions, you know, well, why you rank this guy here and should I play this guy? It's always I got to see what happens on Friday or, you know, for the teams that play on Monday, I got to see what happens on Saturday. Right. And, you know, for the most part, that works too. I mean, we get – we. Unless you have your your pivot is the Thursday game, uh, you're, usually it's okay. I mean, late in the season, the Saturday game is another little wrinkle that we get to deal with. But for now, well, that's you know, unless you, and the thing is, there are some tough ones in the the, the chart we mentioned earlier. Uh, Devontae Parker is another one who's kind of less than one hundred percent this week too. Uh, so th- there's some tough calls to make. I also think with the shape of the injury so far. We, we think of fantasy football a lot of times as, okay, I, I do my bids in the middle of the week, and then on the weekend I'll set a lineup and watch them go. But maybe Thursday and Friday or you kind of take a day off, let your feet up. I think this year more than ever, we need to grind every day. I mean, I know, great, nothing – in most leagues you can't do anything on Mondays and Tuesdays, at least the leagues that I'm in. I and mean, I like that. I don't, I, don't, I don't think it should be a seven-day period. But I feel like – the need to stay hey, look i want you to get out and have a life i want you to get out and play around to golf or go do stuff with your kids or walk your dog whatever it is but i feel like the need to stay in the know with news and with the flow of certain situations on thursday and friday and be able to make it those secondary pickups after the bids have been processed i feel like that's going to be more important it's always important but i feel like it's going to be more important than ever and also 
another reason why this is important is if you, like in one of my leagues in the fishbowl, I two-hand shoved on Mike Davis. I don't know if it's the right move or not, but now I'm, I have no leverage in fab. So that means I got to be look ahead. I got to be winning on Thursday and Friday or winning a week ahead on waivers because I can't beat anybody with a bid anymore. You can't beat people, but sometimes, you, you know, throwing those secondary bids out there, you'd be surprised what you get to keep them honest bid sometimes. You never know. You know, just keep grinding, dude. And, and then you get those guys and you immediately think, okay, well, why, why is this player a brick? Why, right. do I, right. why, why do I not go out this guy? Hey, let me ask you this. We didn't talk about this. Um, do you see, are you excited, whether it be this week or long term, the Giants and Niners are playing each other? Uh, what do you make of those backfields? You know, I want the guy that catches the passes, so I want McKinnon over uh, Wilson. But I do think it will be close to a timeshare there. I think McKinnon's like a. I, I think it'll go like 60, 30, 10 with Hasty being in the mix. Hasty's okay. the wild card. Sure. You know, Hasty breaks off a big one, then all of a sudden, you know, he, he could be a 50 50 guy. And it, I think it's. I still am a Mostert guy long term, but I mean, how can you not worry about his durability at times? Uh, it, that I, I'm encouraged that it sounds like the way they're talking, it's only going to be a week or two with him. Whereas Tevin Coleman, it's minimum of four weeks. I don't, I don't think Tevin Coleman's any good anyway. Yeah, I, I'm kind most of I love Mostert. You know, I, I, another shout out to Rebar. He, he posted a list of all the Mostert touchdowns in his career. He oh scores God. from distance. I imagine if he got the cheap touchdowns. He's such a likable guy. He feels like he's been cut by every team, and and I like that he just asked for a modest raise, and the team's like, you know what, you've earned it, and he got got paid. I mean, he didn't get mega bucks, but I like that they felt. Um, just the goodwill there, and they they want to take care of him. But you know, Shanahan's so good with design, and Breida came out of nowhere, and Moster came out of nowhere. And if you look at Shanahan, I, I don't have a list in front of me, but you look at some of the running backs he's had when he was a uh, position coach or coordinator, and some of the guys who came out of relative obscurity. Not, not, well, we see that a lot of times in the NFL, anyway. I mean, there's been so many good running backs who were late round draft picks or undrafted. So it's, I'm not one act like Shanahan has the exclusive rights to that but he's of course one of the great all-time run design coaches he learned at the feet of his father mike shanahan who i think Mm -hmm. should be in the hall of fame so i just want you know i would not be surprised i i I can't predict it i know this sounds like a cheap cop-out but if at the end of the day it's like hasty has 95 yards and a touchdown i'll just kind of go man that's shanahan for you not that not that he's trying to trick us up but i think that shanahan is such a good designer that a lot of people could be successful in his system I'm not as optimistic on McKinnon as some others, just because I don't think they view him as a player who can withstand a lot of touches. So I think Wilson is certainly going to have a role. I think a third running back is going to have a role. They may even maybe Huschek gets a couple of cheap touches just to kind of get in the fantasy way. So that makes me a little bit nervous. As far as the Giants go, I'm not buying it with Freeman. I I mean, look, if I could have gotten Freeman at the cheapest acquisition cost, I would have. That obviously wasn't going to happen once he signed. He was not somebody I proactively went after, so I don't have him. And even though Wayne Gallman didn't dress last week, because Lewis is so old, I don't think there's a lot of upside. NFL old, anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a lot of upside with Lewis. My point here would be I'm glad I didn't go after Freeman. If he's good, God love him. But I'm, I'm glad I didn't go after him. And I still think in deeper leagues, I, I don't mind putting a chip on Gallman and just letting him sit on my bench for a week or two and, and see if he can do something. I I know he's guaranteed nothing, and he can easily be the first guy I cut you know, maybe in a, in a few days. But um, I the main takeaway there is I don't believe in Freeman. 
I can buy that. I, I put in modest bids on him and didn't get him yet. Uh, you know, it definitely, definitely Davis over any of the Giants options. Sure. And I, you know, I throw. I, I think I treat. I like. I like throwing a, a token bid on Wilson if you can. Uh, I, th- I think that's you know you might even steal a, t- a goal line carry because he's definitely capable at the goal line. We saw him being a goal line thief in the past already, so I kind of think that that's at least he'll get something like that going on for him there. So yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's pretty much right. On- and Dalton Del Don, our mutual friend and my colleague at Yahoo, he he was adding Wilson everywhere he could, yeah. and then when I when the news was trending towards Wilson earlier on Wednesday, I, I did the quick. One of the things I love about Yahoo is you can do a league availability check and it immediately shows you a player's yeah. status in all your leagues. And I looked, it's like uh, Dalton owns him, Dalton owns him, Dalton owns him, Dalton owns him. I did get some Wilson, though, for free in a couple of leagues where I have no fab flexibility or, or not a lot of it. I got him as a secondary free pickup. So I encourage people just to make sure he should be rostered somewhere. And uh, and hopefully to you, I, I think there's an upside for him. I'd agree with that. I think that's smart. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. I know Scott has told me ahead of time, Yahoo has five fantasy football podcasts a week right now. And it's not always Scott every time, but Scott's a big part of that. Plus, he does the uh, breakfast, the premium breakfast table with Michael Salfino every year. That's a, you know, a heavy, pretty heavy workload there for you. Yeah, the Media Tour 2020. Um, you yeah. know, three podcasts today with the Dalton Gambling Pod we did, this, this show, which was very enjoyable. And I always like talking to you. And I'll be breaking down football with Mike later today. So if you want to catch up to me, and of course you can you can listen to me on Rotowire. I'm, I'm uh, a Thursday guest. I think it's at twelve thirty Eastern time, twelve thirty five, something like that. So uh, I'll be on Thursday. Dalton is also a Thursday guest. They get great guests. We talked about Rufus earlier, who yeah. I think is there on the Wednesday show. Stefania Bell is is your injury. Uh, guest on Wednesday. She obviously Hall of Famer. She knows her stuff. And a, a former Roto-Wire alum also, I might add. Yes, so uh, much much props to Stefania. So, hey, we got a lot to talk about. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll talk again tomorrow. And you know, check out the Yahoo stuff. Um, you can play DFS at Yahoo. You can still draft a league if uh, you didn't get it right the first time. Do it again. Fantasy Football Live on Sunday, which is a flagship show for us. And um, you know, a lot of good stuff happened at Yahoo and with the breakfast table. I hope you check some of it out. Good advice. And uh, you can even jump in and start up a new survivor pool if you were, you were on the Colts in week one, too. You could do that. Too. Yeah, if you followed Chris Liss, you know, on the <laughs> Titanic, you hit that iceberg. Then, uh, nice. Oh, man. You know, I'd like to see some upsets, though. It, to me, week two was boring with all the favorites generally. Win. I mean, the Eagles oh, were a tiny boy. underdog. And then you had the – I don't think anybody was dumb enough to take the Saints on the road. But I, I like to see a little bit more survivor juice. I hope we see some upsets this week. I dodged a big one with the Cowboys last week. Now I don't have to use them. You took Dallas. Wow. And I know, yeah, obviously Tennessee was the white knuckle or two. Yeah. So The game could have gone either way. I had the Buccaneers, which looked pretty – I was going to go with the with the Niners. I hate to take road teams. And then I backed off that. I said, mm-hmm. this makes me nervous. And, of course, they crushed the Jets from A to Z. But I decided that – I do like Tampa Bay's defense, and I, I thought they would handle that game, and pretty much they did. Although I feel like the Buccaneers shouldn't have covered. Um, I'm, I hate to say this, I was so anti Fournette. I, I think with that fumble, with Brady and Jones having the miscommunication, and some of the other mistakes that Jones has made, I'm afraid that Fournette might shove Jones out of the way. Not that I've ever been a big Ronald Jones guy, yeah, but I was so negative to Fournette. I, I almost feel like if he's great, I'm, I'm going to regret it. Cause I was like telling people like the way to prepare for your draft is just to cross him off your sheet. How high do you have Fournette in your rankings this week? 
Low 20s, maybe yeah, 22, 21, yeah, something like, like 24, that. 22. I do like Denver a lot in that game with the points, though. That's yeah. one one of my favorite bets of the week. I, I, I think I also picked Denver. We may have not too many differences this week. All right, we could keep talking forever. You'd like that, maybe? Maybe you wouldn't. I don't know, but we're going to have to conclude it, unfortunately, anyhow. Scott, as always, always a pleasure. Super fun talking with you today. It was really fun. Thanks for having me, Jeff. You bet. Scott Pianowski. Follow him on Twitter, at Scott underscore Pianowski. Check him out on Yahoo. Coming up tomorrow, we've got uh, John McKechnie, Mario Puig, as always, on the Thursday Fantasy Football Podcast here on Rotowire. Thanks for listening.